Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. Today, we'll be continuing uh, in the series on Romans 8. Uh, there have been two episodes prior to this one. Uh, to get you uh, caught up, you would listen to uh, the episode that was done on verses 1 through 11, and one just recently released on the bonus feed for the Patreon subscribers, and that covered. Uh, verses 12 through 17. But today, we're going to be talking about Romans 18 through 27, and I have a very special guest with me. Hunter Ravenna Hunt Hendricks is here uh, to talk about this beautiful, magnificent, and very confusing series of verses. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, what's up? I'm, uh, I'm glad you... Uh, you're you're on the show with me. I feel like we've been talking a little bit back and forth for a very long time about this as a possibility, and um, and so I'm glad we were able to to connect here. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, glad glad to be doing it. Yeah, yeah, it's been kind of on the on the radar for a while. <laughs> well, um, before we get into what I think is a a substantial bit of of scripture to talk about and some really uh, interesting and befuddling at times uh, topics. Um, why don't you tell folks that are listening a little bit about yourself and how faith plays a part in your life? Um, sure. I, um, well, I'm a practicing Christian. Um, and it's a big part of who I am and what I do. Um, I mean, should I say just like generally about myself? Or something. Yeah, yeah. It's anything about um, your background, or like how you came to faith, or if you were raised in it, or really just like about yourself as a person. Or I leave it pretty open ended. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I was raised with like definitely the influence of Christianity, um, kind of like Southern evangelical, but I was raised mostly in New York City and um, uh, so there wasn't really faith in my environment for the most part or, or mm. even totally in my home there's like some but some not and sure. um, and I have, yeah so I was sort of like idiosyncratically uh, attached to Christianity from a pretty young age um, I, I think the fracture between those influences has sort of stuck with me because um, I've been in environments mostly that are not Christian and uh, have always just cared a lot about uh, Christ, I guess. Mm -hmm. and um, But also been really into nihilist, uh, atheist philosophies of various kinds. And, um, you know, and I you know, play music and, uh, <laughs> um, that's, uh, you know, Christian, uh, faith is a part of the message of liturgy, but, um, but with an occultist 
uh, approach as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I, I sort of, I, I develop theological ideas and that kind of thing. So, so it's, there, there's a, there's a degree of like faith as a work of art. Um, so it's not, it's not terribly trad is I guess what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I find it, I find it really interesting. Um, the sort of juxtaposition of, uh, a faith in any time anyone has a, a faith influence on, um, or, a, a you know, a factor of their faith in the, um, the creation of what can be at times rather dark music. And, and that's not a knock on the music at all. I think you're, you're extremely talented. The music that you've created is, is awesome, but it's so, um, dissonant with how people, I think, picture, uh, music, not Christian music, obviously, but music that Christians make. And, and I think w- we as, as, you know, people or uh, musicians in general ought to sort of dig deeper into that and sort of continue to find ways to express some aspect or another of the gospel or even just allowing the sort of allowing the spirit to move you, which we'll discuss in the passage that we're talking about today. But allowing the spirit to move you to create things, um, I, I, I just think it's uh, I think it's really awesome and, and novel, at least uh, for the expression of faith that we have, you know, in this time today. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, there's um, yeah, the relationship between like Christianity and rock music is really, you know, it's like weird or whatever, because because like you know, Christian rock is such a cringe sort of concept and always has been um but then there's that sort of tradition of people thinking of like punk music and diy as some kind of like refinement of faith you know they're they're Mm. sort of like a religious uh dimension to the the spirit of music or something you know like from the perspective mm. of like Dan Graham or something like that like oh the Shakers became the punks or something um, so it's like I've always been like interested in sort of both of those uh, like trajectories or tendencies and sort of trying to put them together in a way in like a non cringe way because like Christian rock music always it's like fake music or something. <laughs> yeah, it always feels like a yeah, it always feels like a simulation. Yeah. Um, yeah. which is so unkind to people that make Christian rock. I I don't mean to sound <laughs> that unkind about it, but there is an element of it that just sounds like we're going to make something that people who like rock music can listen to and still say that it's Christian music, not we're going to make a great record and we're Christians. There are some out there, but it's it's rare, right? Yeah, it's pretty rare. Yeah, and so it's, like, not even just antithetical to, like, extreme metal or whatever, but it's just sort of, like, it's like almost like you can't do something new and original if you're a Christian in that space. There's just, like, this mm-hmm. rule. Um, though, yeah, there are there are instances of that. That's definitely the general view of it, I think, and even, like, the general phenomenon. I, Which is I, crazy I, to think I, I was watching a documentary about DC Talk, actually. Did you, did you ever get into that band? I, I wasn't I was sort of on the fringe of that. I was more into the, uh, <laughs> embarrassingly enough, I was more into the Christian ska kind of uh, and like pop punk uh, oh. in, the, in the 90s. Yeah, 90s and early 2000s. But um, that was just, just the, the cusp, the end of my 
my time with faith until I, you know I was an atheist for a long time before I sort of came back to Jesus. Yeah, I didn't I didn't realize that it, DC Talk was originally like they were um, they were just a rap group. They 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 didn't originally have a rock element. Um, huh. And they were I mean that's our, you know, that was novel at the time too to be Christian rappers, but they yeah they brought in like guitars at like the last minute and and then they got like kind of you know they they were the first like christian rock celebrities kind of um yeah. and, and but they never really crossed over you know like i think they they were hoping to like uh, like actually cross over but i think they were the first band to like almost do that um but yeah uh, they had a mainstream appeal um, it's like the newsboys were kind of like that too for a little while. Oh it seemed like that band is awful. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, truly. DC <laughs> <laughs> talk isn't like that bad. I mean, it's it's um it's pretty bad. Um, but it, it's, it's, <laughs> the newsboys are awful. The band I kind of uh, like from that era is Jars of Clay. Did you ever know that band? Yeah, yeah, Jars of Clay is is all right, you know. But they were very much of their time, right? They fit right into what the current of like pop rock music was was doing like they're talented but i feel like the the vibe of it didn't i don't know it didn't really stand out but they you know they wrote great songs yeah they had that one song flood uh it's like if i can't swim after 40 days um it sounded a lot like wonderwall it sounded exactly like wonderwall actually <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly like wonderwall but like a little sadder or something a little darker um it's a great song. I, I that song kind of enters my mind now and then. Uh, every time I think about parallels like that, I think about shopping in the, then I think it was called the Northwest Christian Bookstore, um, in this mall that's a long since dead mall back in in Minnesota where I grew up, and and there were sections in the store uh, for music that were like if you like Megadeth, uh, you're gonna like this band, or if you like, you know, Pearl Jam you're going to like this band. And uh, it's so funny, but that is, I mean, that that circles back to what we were saying about Christian rock just being, feeling like they're crying, they're trying to create it. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was a Christian rock music section and it was like, yeah, like it was in a Christian bookstore. So yeah, the, whole, exactly. the whole, yeah, the whole, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like for fans of Megadeth who aren't allowed to listen to parental advisory logo, CDs, <laughs> yeah. whatever. <laughs> Uh, you just released a new uh, EP this year. Um, mm. It's your first in a year or two, is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah, our last release was in 2020. And we, uh, yeah, we put out an EP, and it's, it's kind of like connected to an album that we're going to put out um, next year, which is, uh, which is a vision of the kingdom of heaven. It's the, oh, wow. that's sort of the theme that our last album is like an origin, the origin of the world, creation of the world sort of thing. And, uh, this one is, uh, it's, it's based on my eschatology. So it, it has like four sections that, um, that are sort of, um, like payons to the four principles that I believe should govern the kingdom of heaven or, or, or will inevitably govern it. That's a beautiful concept. Do you, um, do you post the, your lyrics 
anywhere? Well, like when you when the, when your albums are streaming, is are the lyrics available as well, or do you have them in the album art? Oh, um, I think yeah, they're out there. They're they're in the album art. I think they're on like Genius or whatever. Hmm. Um, though a lot of times the lyrics don't say any. any I don't know. Like, uh, yeah. Like actually, this it's funny. Like the song I said it was about. I said it was a vision of heaven, but the songs aren't like the lyrics aren't about that at all. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, like, because I sort of uh, have a more like imagist approach to lyrics. I think, uh, like the lyrics don't make any sense. Um, uh, they're 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 <laughs> they're just sort of like, I think they convey something, but they're not like, uh, yeah, they're not like making any like statements. More poetic than narrative. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, the idea is that, like, the, but the sections of the album would refer to, like, uh, writings or uh, philosophy videos that uh, huh. that aren't on the album but are, are connected. I, I, I like to kind of keep those things in dialogue. That's very cool. Well, do you think we should uh, get to the get to the passage i don't want to i don't want to rush this along but i i realize we have a lot to cover here yeah sure let's do it um before we start reading do you have a preferred translation of the bible um i like niv um i think usually usually i when i'm reading the bible i kind of switch back and forth between niv and kjv Hmm. um i have a like an app that has both of them but nice. usually I read NIV for clarity and then see, see what, see what King James has. What's why? What's yours? What, what do you? Oh, choose? I, it's not a loaded question. I was, I just, I'm just always curious because there's so many different translations and the, the further I get along in the show, it really seems like the, the more I learn at least about the translations and people who are Bible scholars would probably vehemently disagree with me on this point but i don't really think that there's one that's necessarily better overall uh, than others but they all have a like an interesting voice to me and they all seemed especially <clears throat> in complicated uh verses uh ones like verses like 27 you can read 10 different translations and really kind of get almost get 10 different meanings or or concepts that are being communicated Verse 27? uh, uh, Yeah, in 27. Um, But we'll get there. I don't want to jump right there because there's a lot of sort of... You want to jump to the end? Okay. No. I don't don't think there's any shame in doing that because I I mean, I I tend to read the Bible in a very nonlinear way, um, more more with the spirit of like Lectio Divina. Um, Like I don't... Like I was talking to... I mean, I don't mean to divert from uh, reading the text, but like... No, it's okay. Like, I was talking to someone the other day who was talking about trying to, like, get through the whole Bible. Um, and, like, I like I don't really read it as a book in that way. I sort of read it... I read, like, little snippets here and there, and I feel like there, it's a way to, like, make contact um, with God. I think that's totally valid and, and reasonable, and um, there is, like, an element of like a scholarly approach that, you know, when you do that, it sort of requires that you um, get context and go verse by verse and, um, you know, read it in that way. But I don't think to get the spirit 
of the text to really feel the the message that's being communicated by God, which I do think the Bible does, even though, you know, I hold some fairly progressive views about different aspects of faith. I, I really do, do think that God speaks to us in in Scripture, right? That's what you're getting at, too. Like Diodavina, I mean, it's this idea that this is a living text. This is something that has the capacity to speak into our hearts. It's not just words on a page. Yeah, exactly. Paul is especially hard to do that with, though, because he gets to a lot. He goes in a lot of different directions, especially in Romans. He goes into a lot of different directions, and people will pull verses like 18, and it'll be like they're making a like a vision board for themselves, like um, or or you know f- creating a narrative of their own using pull quotes like verse 18 or like Jeremiah 29 11 or like what sound like what they could have come from like motivational <laughs> motivational speakers or something mm-hmm. and that's not minimizing the the message of it right but it, it does feel like at times if you if you only go for those passages then you're missing an element of what's really being said I, I read a book about Paul's uh, journey earlier this year um, and it was actually really amazing to understand like the chronology of like how like the order in which he wrote these texts and like what he was doing when he wrote each one um and uh and just like his whole process and like 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 his background like uh yeah I, i agree that like the the epistles more than any other text i think you were kind of saying this like they they do bear a linear reading like like he was such an author paul you know yeah. like yeah um and such a such like a powerful intellect um but it's so crazy he, he was just like walking around you know he's like walking to new towns to like tell them about jesus and he would like get like beaten up like in every one yeah. <laughs> it's really i it's such a he's such a fascinating person he's so and fascinating his his body of work is amazing but he as a person i feel like we could go so much deeper with that because his experiences with Jesus, the the actual discussions that he had with the Lord, like happen in a book that he didn't like write. There's not by his hand, but we have so much other writing from him. That's what I I mean. I find that super fascinating too. Yeah, it's it's amazing that Paul like wasn't Jesus in this way. <laughs> like, like 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 Jesus's life was obviously really amazing, um, and. You know, but it's kind of like, well, okay, but he was God, you know, like, okay, like, like he like suffered, like the amount of suffering is what I'm talking about. Like, okay, he Mm -hmm. did all that, died and like resurrected, but like, you know, he was God. So of course he did. But like Paul suffered like pretty much the same amount almost. And he was just like, he was just like a human being, you know? Yeah. Like unbelievable. Yeah. It's It's important not to get caught up in his a lot of his writings being portrayed as like a a rule book or something it's easy to get caught up in this idea of him as like a fuddy-duddy who like doesn't want anyone to have fun or anything like he he's not that's not him you know he was dealing with specific groups of people at specific times that had specific issues and he was trying to help build the church but this doesn't strike me as somebody who lived like a joyless existence who uh who wanted 
nothing but to like set down uh, rules for people so that they didn't you know go astray or something yeah. it just doesn't it doesn't yeah i mean in the larger scheme of things he was you know compared to people who cuz cuz he didn't believe like a lot of early christians thought you needed to observe jewish law and his and, mm. and he was one of the first people to suggest that you didn't have to observe jewish law um so in that sense he's like a libertine practically um <laughs> I mean, I mean, though, though he says some things in some of his letters that I feel like are not divinely inspired, like like some 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 of them I think are wrong. That's um, would be a controversial statement in some crowds, <laughs> but I think you're absolutely right. I think that there are points where a, a bit of his own, his own belief, his upbringing, his um, opinions kind of bleed through a little bit, and that is interesting too. Actually, okay, last thing about Paul. In your view, do you do you think he was gay? Ooh, oh boy. I mean, that's loaded, right? Um, n- not. I don't think that enough that it's a a detail that I find worth discussing. Only because it's obviously a distinct possibility, but he had like no. It was almost like his vision was so far afield of human sexual desire that he and and may, maybe this was a face that he was putting on maybe that was his beard but uh you know he he seemed to be so disconnected from that way of thinking that if he was i don't know what that would change but there are spots where any thing he says very mysterious things sometimes like his thorn in the flesh and things like that where we don't really know. Yeah, there's the thorn in the flesh, and then and then there's Timothy. You know, like he like like he he had like a lot of affection, mm-hmm. like for you know he like he was sort of like Agamemnon or something. Like he sort of you know it's like oh, I'm, I love my male companion so much, um, and, yeah. and 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 something in this book uh, that I that was pointed out was that he was a rabbi, and but he there's no record of him ever having had a wife and it's actually really strange to not have a wife if you're a rabbi is it is my understanding according to the book yeah and he was like a high yeah he was like a high priest oh he's a he was a pharisee right right so he would have been well respected viewed as a morally upstanding person but yeah he had this one aspect of his life that would have been unusual at the time and and it was something that he even tried to preach into the christian church like this is not what you need to do you don't in in fact at times this is something that maybe your body has to do in order to stay otherwise righteous but the most righteous path is to avoid that altogether and that take is obviously controversial to this day because uh we're, human bodies the work work the way that they work right i mean people are drawn to certain things and and um yeah yeah, that's a that's an interesting interesting topic to bring up, especially in light of Romans, which has some choice things to say, especially in Romans one. All right. So anyway, sorry, I digress. I know you were trying to get to some. Uh, no, it's okay. It's all right. reading. This is all good discussion. All right. So for this um, for this series so far, I have read uh, first in the ESV, which is my sort of normal go to translation, um, only because it was the first Bible I bought back when I was, you know, being reconverted, and and um, I have this, it, it feels like a nice, you know, a nice comforting 
translation for me. But I'm also then reading the same passage in the David Bentley Hart New Testament translation, which I find to to sort of guide the text in a, in a slightly different direction. So uh, okay. do you mind if I read those two sort of side by side really quick or one, one after the other and then we'll dive in? Uh, sure. Okay. So in the ESV it says... For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in the hope we were saved, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience." Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now in the David Bentley Hart translation, he writes... For I reckon the sufferings of the present time to be of no worth before the coming glory that will be revealed to us. For the earnest expectation of creation anxiously awaits the revelation of the sons of God. For creation was made subordinate to pointlessness, not willingly, but because of the one who subordinated it, in the hope that creation itself will also be liberated from decay into the freedom of the glory of God's children. For we know that all creation groans together and labors together in birth pangs up to this moment. Not only this, but even we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, groan within ourselves as well, anxiously awaiting adoption, emancipation of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but a hope seen is not hope. For why hope for what one sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we anticipate by perseverance. And likewise, the Spirit also gives us aid in our infirmity, for we do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit itself makes intercession, intercession in unutterable groans, and he who searches out the heart knows what the Spirit's mind is. Uh, for in accord with God, it makes intercession on behalf of the Holy Ones. So they're pretty different, those two translations, and contextually... Uh, like they 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 seem to be getting a similar point across, but the language, the different um, the different language that it uses, brings certain different things to mind. Futility and pointlessness were was one that stuck out to me, particularly um, because futility in verse. Now I'm speaking in verse twenty in the ESV. Futility sounds like a fruitlessness of works. Uh, something that you're clawing towards but not reaching, whereas pointlessness doesn't imply any active role. It's just sort of like a general nihilistic malaise or um, a, a doing of a, a doing nothing essentially. 
If, if you'd like to know, the, the NIV has frustration. Frustration? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at it. Now that. that brings another element into it, right? Because it doesn't say I'm doing something and not accomplishing it or I'm doing nothing because what does it matter? It's saying I'm trying to do this and I'm not accomplishing it and so I'm frustrated by it. That's a pretty interesting distinction. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I've I've only ever read it in this version. Like to like to me, I was like, oh, it has to be frustration. These other ones are wrong, because <laughs> <laughs> um, like, because I feel like because there's so much like groaning in the whole passage. Um, there, there's an element of pain in the groaning. That mm-hmm. is sort of gotten. You know, he's getting that across with this idea of the pains of childbirth, but that there are different kinds of groaning happening here I think is a really interesting point too that the creation the world the whole of the world you know the the earth itself groans we groan or moan or whatever and the spirit also does the same and somehow through that collective groaning there is some progress towards the you know, the moving, essentially moving the will of God in some way to uh, to move us toward that adoption. Doesn't this passage almost sound a little heretical or something? Because, like, I feel like it seems to be saying that it was God's will that creation sort of suffer or be imperfect or something. Yeah, I think there's got to be an element of that, right? Because it does seem like it's saying... God made our life bad so that we, yeah, I'm, maybe I'm not wording that right. Because <laughs> I think it's, it's heretical to, uh, to not say that uh, the fall is all man's fault. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, was, it was up to us to do right, and we didn't. And therefore, yeah, the fall happened, and so the creation fell into the futility that's being discussed here. But yeah, it does kind of sound like Paul is saying that that, that was God's intention the entire time, which feels, it doesn't feel like the will of God that we know. It doesn't feel like the God that we know. Yeah. Why would we get set up to fail? But I guess it's a mystery, and that's the beauty of Scripture, is that Paul isn't a theologian who needs... Uh, philosophical rigor uh, it can be sort of a mystery because I think that it stands as true in either case that um, you know there is a spiritual joy in realization that that could not possibly be achieved without great uh, great suffering yeah the the sufferings that are being that that Paul mentions in verse 18. I think like we should know and we know as we were discussing Paul's experience when he was building churches and and going from town to town, he experienced a great deal of suffering and the early church fathers did uh, and church mothers did, right? Uh, They were being beaten in public for saying what they were saying, for bringing the gospel, trying to bring joy and everlasting life you know, into people's lives, and uh, and people would would beat them, stone them, in some cases, kill them. Um, 
it's you can't be overstated how much they went through when they were going through this process of building the church. It's um, it's tragic, and so keep you know keep our eyes on that as the basis for what Paul is saying to people in Rome who were going through similar things, but also in that way that Scripture is speaking to us at all times, even though the Scripture, Paul, is not writing to us exactly. Um, we all have an experience of suffering. We all do. It's a universal human experience. And so I find this first massively comforting, um, even knowing that it may not be directed, you know, right at me. So going back to the um, the suffering leading to you know, eventual suffering leading to an eventual glory that we'll experience. Part of that suffering is this groaning and the experience of the pain. And the phrase in the ESV, bondage to corruption, uh, felt like sort of a nod back to verse 15, where Paul mentions the spirit of slavery, um, that we're held, uh, the corruption the sin that we experience can lock us in place, that we can feel trapped by our sin. And like it's only through that continual calling out to God and allowing the Spirit to work in us that we can be saved from that, that we can get the salvation that's promised. But it almost feels like a works, like Paul is arguing uh, works there, uh, saying that we only through the the experience and the doing of this particular thing that we can break free from it and not through necessarily just the will of God. What do you think he's trying to get? Is this like a ladder people are climbing or is this, um, is this just like divine will that we be, that we be freed from our sin? I think I kind of read him as saying that, um, that the key is to be living in a state of grace and to have um, like hope lighting up. Um, like I kind of feel like the faith versus works thing is like a false dichotomy um, because when you are really authentically praying and meditating, I think what happens is that you become capable of detecting God's will um, and capable of sort of merging with like, uh, merging with like a kind of divine flow of, um, mm. of love and healing that's like helpful to others. And so it's like, but I think like the work, like a lot of times I think the work is praying and meditating um, and then, like, uh, real, you know, realizing sort of what is, what your context is, and what, um, like, not holding back in fear, hmm. and then, like, not, and and you know, believing, believing in, believing in salvation without knowing how or what it is, uh, embracing the mystery, like you were saying earlier. Yeah, embracing yeah. that mystery, embracing the mystery, but also like growing a new, like divine mind or something. That's beautiful. I think 
like prayer is a complicated thing in believers, even secure believers, people who are certain of their faith or as certain as one obviously can be. Um, someone who is devout and truly believes um, can still feel puzzled by prayer because we don't hear the voice or don't hear it in the way that we want to hear it or it's not clear enough or we want a divine directive in our head, in our ears, not just, you know, what we see in scripture or, you know, hear from those, uh, you know, who are prophesying or whatever. Um, it can be so frustrating. And that's, I think, another part where the, the, the groaning is really relatable to me because when I pray, I tend to talk. I just talk, and it's so it feels like I'm just like trying to break God down or something. Like, all right, enough, shut up, fine, take take what you want. I don't care. And that's not how we should be approaching prayer, right? It, we should be groaning more, and and opening ourselves up more. And even if it isn't intelligible discussion, um, it is more about what prayer does with our spirit. Uh, with our hearts than it is what you know what it does with our brain yeah exactly i agree what else stuck out to you about these verses was there anything that popped out to you like the most the thing that you really thought was um a message that jumped off the page Mm, wait how far have we gotten so far or do you mean the whole passage i mean we've kind of been jumping around so um we could really go anywhere well, wait. So you you uh, you were saying something about twenty seven. Yeah, yeah. Well, you and you. It's um, it sounded like you were interested in talking about that one too, specifically because I I yeah I I brought it up because I thought the 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 wording of it leaves a lot of room for different interpretations. the The first thing about twenty seven that I was puzzled by was. He who searches hearts uh, is. Are we, are we talking about the Father there? Who do you think he who searches hearts is? Oh yeah, I never imagined it being anybody else. The the Greek doesn't specify, right? The the like the source writings doesn't say God, the one who searches hearts. It just says he who searches hearts. So that was the first thing that like I thought. Okay, wait a second. What is that? But. The, the phrase I think that really stuck out to me is knows that the second half of that um, sentence there, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, I presume, um, has a, a mind and intention in that mind, and that intention is uh, positioned towards uh, healing us bringing us into communion with God. But it almost seems like it's it's not the Father's same intention. Like this, and this is probably heresy too, but it almost seems like the Spirit's will, the Spirit's mind, is either at odds or in a different, you know, aimed, positioned in a different direction than the mind of the Father. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, that makes me think about the Trinity... I mean, there's so many different theories of what the the, the Trinity is, you know, mm-hmm. and like what the Holy, you know, I mean, I don't know, I mean, does Spirit there mean the Holy Spirit? 
you know, or is it like the person's soul, or is that, um, I mean, the Holy Spirit is is definitely the most um, like confusing person of the Trinity, I would say. Would you, yeah. would you agree with that? Absolutely. And the Trinity, I think, is the deepest mystery. That is the thing that is the hardest to understand about uh, Orthodox, not Eastern Orthodox, but just sort of Orthodox Christian belief is the Trinity. is so hard to understand sometimes because we know who Jesus is is and was, and we have a lot of writing about the Father, uh, and and it feels like we hear his voice more, but the Holy Spirit is like this, this ephemeral, um, disembodied, willful, active, purposeful, but still mysterious I'm breath. I mean, literally the word for spirit in the Greek is like a breeze, like a breath, uh, yeah, some something that isn't stuck, uh, rooted in the ground. Yeah, I've I've noticed like that in like when when theologians write about the Trinity, like they they have like different models, you know, they model it on, and like one is like, mm-hmm. you know, God is like a parent, Christ is like a child, and the Spirit is like the love between them, but then then you could be like, oh, it's like a mother, father, and child. Like, that's another model. Mm-hmm. Um, and But then also, like, uh, just like will, intellect, and imagination is a model, that they're like three, three dimensions of the same mind. Um, that like, uh, you know, that they're like God, like God is, Father's like a will, the Son is intellect, because like Christ is like, the cosmos like Christ is the forms uh you know like there's always this connection between Christ and the platonic forms Mm. and then the imagination is spirit because it's the like sort of turbulent ineffable one or something yeah um but then I've also I'm actually reading right now um with some other actually in my discord with some people I'm reading this book uh uh by uh Bulgakov um, the Eastern Orthodox theologian. I don't know if you know like, him at all, but he, had, he he's like he was writing in the twentieth century, and in um, Eastern Orthodoxy, they they sort of like brought a new uh, a fourth hypostasis into the Trinity, uh, which like represents like Mary more or less, but also the Divine Feminine, and also the Church. Um, and it's kind of like the Holy Spirit. It's sort of like an extension of the Holy Spirit, but like um, more, uh, it's like extended a little further or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, called Sophia. Sorry, that's just kind of like on my mind right now. But no, no, that's that's um, the divine the the concept of the the, the divine feminine or the feminine in the divine. Uh, given that we see and hear masculine pronouns being used for. Uh, God, the triune God, uh, not just the Father and not just Jesus, but even Paul here says, uh, uses he to, um, the, or the, the Spirit himself yeah. intercedes with us. And, and that's, that's a Greek, that's a choice he's making, right? That the, it's not super clear that Paul actually thinks that the Spirit is like a male spirit, which I think is kind of a, a silly thing to say anyway. 
but that is um it's a fascinating concept the mother and father and child connection in the trinity is a super interesting one to me because there is there has to be that um that element of personhood in the divine if that element of personhood exists in humanity um, there must be feminine in the divine for there to for humans to be the image made in the image of God and for you know humans to be feminine you know so that yeah that is a that blows I feel like blows the conversation wide open but <laughs> it is really interesting and but see also because like I mean part of what we think of maybe think of Mary too is that it says the spirit intercedes for God's people oh yeah and and Mary intercedes for God's people mm-hmm. that's that's her uh, that's her like main job uh, is uh, intercessor yeah people people's accusations towards Catholic practice Catholic prayer Catholic beliefs when it comes to the idea like the ideas of Marian devotion are often like criticizing people saying you're worshiping Mary but if you read the prayers if you know what's being said then that's not the case at all you'll know that you're praying to the 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 mother to to speak for you because you like the spirit here is intercessing and speaking in a way that we can't to God uh, you know Mary does that too and that's the whole that's the whole idea behind uh, Marian devotion um, it's right there in the Hail Mary right mm-hmm. yeah, yeah I really love the idea of there being um, divine beings or quasi-divine beings whose their job is to pray for us and like yeah and, and I never really understood it you know because like why couldn't you just pray to God, but maybe it's like God has too much going on, but he, I mean, he doesn't, you know, but like, but you still, there's some reason that like mediation makes sense and that you like pray to Mary so that Mary will pray for you to God. Yeah. It's like that idea that, you know, praying by yourself is fine. I mean, Jesus says you, you can pray, you should pray our father. But, um, when, when there are two or three or more are gathered, then you know Christ is there so the more people you have on your side the more beings rather the more like divine power you have uh, and the more people you have praying for you the the more likely it is that God the Father or God the triune God all three parts will hear you understand you listen and you know, depending on what you're praying for, grant you the the grace that you're requesting, which isn't just, it's not all that prayer is, but um, it's a fascinating concept, but it is, one again, one of those great mysteries. There has to be an element of femininity in the spirit, uh, it, also because Paul is saying, talking about groaning together in the pains of childbirth. So... Um, you know, there's there is that um, procreative element <laughs> of uh, divinity that kind of like births us into this is like being reborn. It births us into a new life with God, uh, but that requires the spirit. 
that requires that divine element to to act for us and act well act with us um, yeah oh we were about we were only halfway through 27 weren't we <laughs> see uh yeah because well well, we just talked about the intercession yeah that's true i mean i also just like the part in 24 uh to move back a little bit where it's like but hope that is seen as no hope at all who who hopes for my translation says what they already have i think yours was something different what they already see Mm -hmm. but i think that that's a big part of faith that I like that I return to is the idea of just like the absolute infinity of the future of, and, and of God's power. Um, and that, uh, you know, being, being truly prayerful, uh, isn't, um, isn't praying for something that something specific they're hoping for, or even something that you can imagine. Um, but, that hope, hope is like this, like awaiting, and that it's like with enough of a hopeful attitude. It's almost like if you're not prayerful in that way, then you can like close off your ability to receive God's blessings. I think. Hmm. I think that's true, and I think that's a interesting contrast to some of the like really charismatic expressions of Christianity that are prevalent today where, you know, there are whole um, groups of churches that say that unless you speak in tongues, you haven't really had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Like you need to prove it in a physical manifestation in order for that, uh, in order for it to be shown that you have the Holy Spirit in you. And I can't think of it like a more misguided principle because the whole idea is, yeah, we we don't always see that at work. We don't, why would you, if your faith is entirely predicated on something you can prove, then um, you wind up creating this web of confusing uh, and sometimes contradicting um, constraints or, or explanations um, you know, apologetics can be helpful for some people in different parts of their faith, but it, it almost turns into this um, trying to reason your way into understanding things that we aren't meant to really understand. But we wait with patience, right? Yeah, some things we eventually understand and some things we never understand, I guess. Hmm. In 26, and we can we can start wrapping up here, I realize we have only about five, seven minutes left, but in 26, the line, and we, we touched on this a little bit, but I just wanted to dig a little bit deeper into this idea that we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We don't know what to pray for, not how. It's saying, and I think the NIV said something, says something similar there. Yeah, I don't know what we ought to pray for. And then it says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. I think your version, or you did two versions, but one of them was like groaning beneath words or beyond words yeah, or something too like too deep that. for words. I kind of yeah. like this one that's like, it's like groans that like, it's just like a groaning sound that yeah. <laughs> is specified as not... <laughs> 
<laughs> not having any words involved, just sort of a, a, a it's a yeah, just a grinding sound. It speaks to like the fruitlessness, I think, of of trying to over intellectualize pr- something as as core to faith as prayer, because you can say things that you that you believe you know you can follow the acts uh that old acronym about how to pray uh you can read liturgical prayers that have been written and and recited and memorized for hundreds or thousands of years um and there's an element of that that is good and true and valid but there's also an element to prayer that we it's like we can only do it through the spirit um, we can open ourselves up to the Spirit's intercession for us, but sometimes it ought to just be groaning. <laughs> and then, you know, the Spirit groans with us. Um, you know, let that groan out. And, you know, somewhere along the way, the Spirit can make that, um, can make that intelligible to God. Yeah. But then, but then, and then it's like the spirit's groaning too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Too deep for words or wordless entirely, because yeah. the spirit. Yeah, because God knows the mind of the spirit. Like God can't be bothered to read our mind because our mind is so fallen. But once we, <laughs> I'm not sure where I'm going with this exactly. But once we have the spirit on our side, like God's like, all right, all right. What? What are you trying to say? Yeah, and I guess oh, and I guess God Himself even suffers somehow. And that's an interesting idea too, that the the groanings come from a kind of pain that the spirit being part of God is suffering too, you know, in that and and obviously the son suffered, so that's not unprecedented, but it is interesting. It's really uh especially coming from a disembodied thing, a person of the of the Trinity, but a something that can't experience the physical suffering that we that we experience yeah i mean god wants yeah our our suffering makes god sad and god wants god wants the world to wake up and we will in verse 18 hold on to that you know in our suffering understand that this is not it's not the end do you, do, do you believe that, that everything you suffer, uh, you need to suffer? Like, do you think there's like a remainder of suffering that was unnecessary? Or is it all suffering that's... Um, that's uh, ultimately like uh, a lesson? Yeah, that's, um, that's a hard question to answer for me. You know, having gone through the different things that I've been through in my life and, and obviously knowing that everybody suffers in one way or another, but people have degrees of things that they have to go through. And um, there are times when f- your faith can really be shaken because you hurt so deeply, you know, be it through physical trauma or mental anguish or pain in some other way, that we... I don't think that there's I don't think that there's a will in God's heart that we suffer so that we can be taught some kind of lesson though that kind of idea that that notion is common more common in the Old Testament 
I'm reading through Isaiah right now in my in my sort of personal Bible reading, and um, folks on the Discord group for the Patreon, we're all kind of reading a chapter a day together. And some of that language is so disciplinary. And that can't be the God that loves the world so much that he sent his son, right? What, what do you think? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. That's, I mean, that, that's what I think is that I don't know. I, but like, yeah, that's, uh, that's okay. And that's good, I mean, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's certainly great to imagine that, that the suffering that you go through is ultimately what you need. And like, I've definitely gone through a number of experiences in life that uh, were great suffering, involved great suffering, and uh, was glad about after the fact. You know, so, oh, like, like, like I needed that. Um, but, but I mean, you know, you know, the case against God uh, altogether, you know, like the, the, the amount of suffering in the world is like a fairly strong one, you know? Yeah. Um, and, um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, also I think that the, that faith in Christ or that like Christ, Christ's forgiveness, well, that, you know, that like uh, forgiveness of sins through Christ's resurrection, um, it uh, requires repentance. Mm-hmm. So the pain is necessary some way or another, right? It does feel like there is an amount of suffering that is somehow required, if not for atonement of our sins or for like a, a better understanding of what Jesus went through, but maybe even just so that we can know the full extent of what God created when he created human beings, that we can feel everything that a human feels, to know that deep uh, well of suffering is to know another part of God's creation. That's hard to swallow, though, right? That's a that's a <laughs> that's a tough pill to when you're going through the worst of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much mystery in all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, what, uh, what? Maybe you said this already, but what inspired you to uh, choose Romans eight for a series? So, Rome, when I was sort of an early new believer, uh, I eschewed the, um, the Pauline letters altogether because I, I found him, like, stodgy and difficult and, um, and like that, that, like I said, that sort of, that misunderstanding of Paul as, like, this, this rules-obsessed, um, guy and the more I familiarized myself with his writing the more not only that notion of Paul fell apart but the more I felt like I understood um, what Jesus was doing when you read the gospels having the epistles there as a companion to it if the bible the new testament was just the gospels you'd have a, I think a very different notion um, and so I dug into it a little further just on my own and I kind of just fell in love with Romans 8, honestly. It's kind of played out. I know a lot of people love Romans 8, but it's my favorite, I think my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. And 
because it's my podcast, I guess I just thought, okay, well, I'll just do, I'll do my faves. <laughs> makes sense. As, as selfish as that is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, but Romans generally, is, it's a, it's a, it's a good one. So it's definitely, definitely a great fit. And you know, like I said, I think I've been saying, I've been doing a little kind of a intro in, in all the episodes that I've done. I've done two and then this one. But I think that the more that you understand the concepts as difficult as they can be to understand uh, that Paul is trying to communicate, the more you um, feel uh, connected to God, not just in like a, um, again, that disciplinary or that sort of like master-slave mentality or that... um, that notion that like God's the boss and and you know just gotta follow him around and do whatever he says, and you really start to embrace the kinship, the familial connection, that personal connection that we have with God that is so, I think, crucial for like a mature belief. Yeah, I um, the the personal connection to God is the most important thing, and I, and I, I and I feel like it's. I don't know, not that many people I know talk about that or seem to cultivate it. I mean, mm. not to, not to like, criticize anybody, but like, um, or not by any means to criticize anybody, but like, yeah, like really, really experiencing God as like another person, you know, or like more than a person um, and like relating, relating to him almost like like a parent or something like that, you know, and like feeling, feeling a sense of dynamic personality uh, interaction is, uh, that, that really does it for me. Mm -hmm. To know that love, that deep love is to know, you know, the real heart of God towards humanity and, and to get hung up on the mysteries and then throw it away altogether is like I think an all too common thing you know people get obsessed with trying to solve the problem of evil when you know you're much better off not trying to come up with an explanation for everything that the creator of the universe has done (laughs) but rather embrace and appreciate that we can have that connection with the creator at all um that's a beautiful thing it's it's something that yes talk about daily affirmations and motivational speaking we should be reminding ourselves every day Mm -hmm. that god's there with us he loves us he wants to talk to us um and he wants the best for us but there i go sermonizing again Mm -hmm. um no yeah but it's it's uh you know it's like a, it's like an eternal message. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I really enjoyed talking about all kinds of things, and and obviously getting the chance to speak with you about my favorite chapter in the Bible <laughs> was a real joy. So, um, you know, I appreciate the time. Before uh, we sign off, do you have any plugs you want to? send out there for people who are listening anything for folks to check out and obviously we mentioned the new ep and things like that but anything else you want 
folks to to hear about? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think I've mentioned mentioned probably most of the stuff that I do that relates to all this um, that people might care about. Excellent. But yeah, good, good, uh, good, good chatting with you. It's cool that you have yeah. this, uh, this, this podcast. I think it's a valuable, Thanks. valuable uh, presence in our world. Thank you so much. That's that's really sweet of you to say. It's um, yeah. As a as a personal passion project, I can't think of a better way to spend my my time. So. This week's poem is a prayer from Liturgies for Hope by Audrey Elledge and Elizabeth Moore. A liturgy for those embracing the mystery of faith. When we question everything we once thought we believed, help us, gentle teacher, to be brave explorers of the unknown. When doubts multiply in our minds, help us not to be afraid, but to be curious. When questions arise about your existence, your goodness, the way of your salvation. Help us press in and believe that you are present in the mystery. Teacher, we are longing for someone to give us assurance. We measure you with our own intellect, looking for answers from books, academia, pop culture, and critics. But faith is impossible when we seek it within the bounds of our understanding. We become fools when we claim to be wise. So help us reach beyond what we know. Help us step into wonder, into learning, into trusting you for flourishing. The adventure of faith is there. We are like sheep without a shepherd, listening to the wisdom of the world, allowing ourselves to be discipled by culture. Would you liberate us from our compulsive need to understand? Would you marvelously kindle our imaginations? Would you help us hold space for not knowing, for being wrong, for trusting you with what we can't comprehend? Give us a spirit of humility all the days of our lives, so we keep coming back to you. O oh God, echoes of your essence fault across the sky from sunrise to sunset. Help us seek you with urgency and wonder, with childlikeness instead of childishness until a foundation of faith, sturdy and timeless, is revealed. Warm our hearts to faith and wonder as we wait for you. Though we bring more questions than answers, though the discomfort of doubt threatens to unravel us, in faith we treasure the tension of this promise. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Keep us alive in our famine of faith, until we become what we believe. In weakness, yes, we do believe. Help our unbelief. Amen.